Hello and welcome to Ditch FinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, subscribe, let us know, and let YouTube's algorithm know as well. A big question in fintech is what are institutions doing around blockchain now and what's right around the corner? To help unpack this, today I've got two guests. First, from State Street Digital, Nicole Olson, dialing in from New York where she runs product development and innovation. And Patrick Campos in Dubai, who is Chief Strategy Officer at Securency, a technology vendor building blockchain solutions for institutions. Nicole Olson and Patrick Campos, welcome to DigFinVox. Thanks, James. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Nicole. James, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. Um, so, Nicole, you work for uh, you know one of the world's uh, largest uh, custodians, major financial institution, uh, and we hear a lot about digital transformation, um, and we hear that uh, we talked about different next gen technologies and what they mean. Uh, there's always interesting, exciting things going on, but a lot of it doesn't really end up going anywhere, particularly for licensed financial institutions, your clientele, which would be major buy sides around the world. Um, what do you see happening on the buy side? What is the, the thing that you think is really most important right now? Great way to kick it off. Um, thanks, James. So yes, and also I appreciate the promotion. I'm not the head of the group. Um, it's led by Nadine Shakar out of Boston. Um, however, I've been a part of the State Street Digital Group for four years. And um, during that four years, I would say there was a step change a year ago. And that step change happened when State Street clients, so largest institutional investors in the world, actually started calling us, uh, we were fielding multiple calls per day to say, what is going on with blockchain? What is going on with digital assets? State Street, what is your strategy? And it corresponded with a point in time in which uh, State Street Digital spun out as its own entity. So signaling a focus uh, on, on behalf of the bank on digital as the future. So when we talk about digital, we're talking about DLT, blockchain, crypto, tokenized assets. So that's that's really the focus of this group. And we're responsible for charting the strategy at the bank, and we work hand in hand uh, with, with clients uh, who come to us, as I said, all the time to say, we're interested in this. Uh, what are your thoughts on this State Street? How do we get involved? Um, and then we work with partners in the industry like Pat at, at Patrick at Securency um, to, to uh, partner to help build and bring these things to fruition. So to your question on what is the most important aspect right now, that that is the multi-million dollar question. Um, I think I, I think it's exploration. You know, I think I think it's exploration and then so being willing as as a participant in this ecosystem to explore, to invest, 
and then looking for those real paths to deploy. And I would say that's where we are right now. So it's a combination of we've traveled through exploration that hasn't ended, but now what is real and what are we actually looking to build? And that's, that's the phase that we're in right now uh, at State Street in partnership with our clients. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. May I ask you, Yeah. there's a lot of different, uh, I guess, aspects to uh, the, let's call it Blockfin, broadly speaking, uh, that would be, that would pose different opportunities and challenges to any of your clients or any licensed institution. Are you finding that the key interest is in how do I speculate on cryptocurrency like Bitcoin? Uh, it, no. <laughs> how do I create, how do I recreate um, uh, stocks and bonds in a purely digital form from birth to, you know, throughout their, their life cycle? Or is it, I'm waiting for, say, a, stable, a regulated stable coin or a central bank digital currency uh, so that I can I could do something else. Um, you know, what is that? What is that range? Yeah. So the conversations have touched on all of those topics. However, the main focus at State Street and for what we're hearing from State Street clients is that the main focus is on the technology itself. So while crypto you can say is the catalyst. Crypto as a driver. Crypto initially created the hype and laid down the initial blueprint for the technology. Um, so, so we're, you know, definitely standing on the shoulders of crypto. That said, in terms of longevity and in terms of actual innovation, um, and and change, lasting change in our ecosystem, it's the underlying technology itself. So we're looking at ways that we can deploy DLT that will bring, the conversation that we have is how do we bring short-term benefits um, with a reasonable lift? So in other words, how might we utilize new technology in partnership with some existing technology? So we're not trying to you know, change the engine in the airplane mid-flight, and we can actually kind of plug and play into different technologies. Um, and then how do we also anticipate and work effective, effectively with regulators so that we are able to deliver and anticipate what is going to get that seal of approval, you know, on a global or regional basis, uh, so we're ready when that happens. Do you, do you see yourself, Nicole, playing offense or defense here? Uh, some aspects of, let's say, Take a step back. Anything that's blockchain or DLT is really about that efficiency level at a marketplace level. It's not an internal efficiency, right? So that that is very disruptive to um, a, a facilitator or a transaction processor. On the other hand, it could create massive new volumes of, of things and 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 all kinds of incredible, you know, especially when you combine them with with data, all, yeah. all kinds of things that you can provide. So where is the offense and where is the defense? Yeah, I would say our focus is on offense and, you know, our group's been around four years. And so um, the offensive play is we've got lots of strategies just behind the curtain ready for, you know, ready for us to kind of push one out onto stage. So there are lots of lots of strategy. There are a handful of strategies that we've announced and then many more kind of still behind the curtain that we've been working on with clients. Um, 
In terms of efficiency versus, you know, in, in the ecosystem versus sort of transformation of an of an asset or a process, uh, we are looking we are looking at both, and I think that both are important. So, in terms of the question of where do we start? I think it's more focused. So I think that start is with things like how do we deploy the technology to really transform, for example, um, RWA utilization or risk is associated with a certain type of a specific asset. And that answers that question that I raised earlier of what's a tangible benefit for clients that we can execute on today. And then as we progress into the future, that question becomes how do we roll that out systemically? And once that product is successful, what other products does that touch? And how do we then kind of sweep this out into the ecosystem? And that's the journey that we're looking to chart. Okay, thank you. Patrick, I'd love to bring you into this conversation. Um, Securency, you are, uh, I guess, a, a maker of, of this technology. You work on, on developing uh, blockchain-related uh, infrastructure. Nicole's talked about this technology and the changes it can produce and the way that she's trying to look at this and her team and, and her clients. What is the actual things that are being built right now that are relevant to um, you know, large-scale financial institutions? You know, Securency is is uh, an infrastructure, blockchain-based infrastructure and products company. So I say blockchain-based because we're not uh, a company that built its own its own blockchain. Um, rather, we see uh, the blockchain, that universal settlement layer, as somewhat fungible. Um, not in the sense that all blockchains are equal, but that um, you know you can use different blockchains for different purposes. And what we're doing is really working at sort of what I would call kind of layer three. Um, if you think about it that way. And, and so we, we didn't just, begin. If, if, I'm, if I could just interrupt one second, just to clarify, layer one is obviously the actual transactions that are processed on a blockchain. What's layer two versus layer three? So we can think of, we can think of layer one really as uh, in, in financial terms as a settlement layer, right? We can, we can you know, sort of, I guess, reduce it down to that for the sake of this discussion, right? Um, Layer layer two are, is going to be sort of blockchain native apps, um, and then layer three are maybe we can think of those as hybrid apps um, that dip down um, and touch the blockchain, um, but are not necessarily natively on the blockchain at all times, right? Okay. And, um, and and so when we think of of that, um, that gives an indication of the philosophical approach that we took to this in the first place, which was recognizing. Um, that there are lots of systems out there and lots of money invested in these systems and lots of people trained on these systems and the idea that you can just go and sort of rip and replace, um, you know, in, a, in an efficient manner um, was always sort of a, um, it, it, it was a concept that we said, no, that, that, that really doesn't address the, uh, the real world. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about that bridge, I don't even mean it to say that it's transitional. Right, because sometimes you you arrive at the point where you say, oh well, oh so you're building the thing that that allows the bridging until everything is transitioned onto the blockchain, and that's not what I mean, um, because blockchain is not the answer for everything. Um, mm-hmm. There are things that function very well um, just as they are, um, but uh, the the that concept of a universal settlement layer where you have one asset record um, and that carries all the way up through the capital market stack. That's super powerful, and so uh, you know one of the one of the core technologies that we worked on was something that we call the MediG engine, 
which is that universal reconciliation layer that allows you to pull, extract the value from the blockchain, um, but be able to pull data from various sources, right? And so, um, and so the, what I'm getting at here is that we didn't begin as sort of a crypto company that said, hey, actually there's some institutional applications for it. We were squarely focused on um, digital securities and, and the institutional space. That said, um, just to build on what Nicole uh, mentioned earlier, um, you know, certainly, you know, the innovation that occurs in that crypto and DeFi space is fascinating. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, Nicole and I and our respective teams sort of vibe on is that ability to take some of that really cool innovation and translate it into institutional settings and, and, and really create new value. Um, and so, you know, in the DeFi sense, um, you know, there's, there, there's a, a lot of really cool stuff that's going on and things that, um, you know, we're uh, talking about with State Street um, mm -hmm. around the automation of, of um, you know, functions that, you know, have historically been fairly clunky, um, yep. middle office, back office functionality. Um, and so that's one application. Tokenization, which we can come to later, uh, right. of assets is another thing that we've been squarely focused on as well. Yeah. I'd like to ask you, um, because Patrick, I've been talking with financial institutions about technology and and trying to shift out a legacy for a very long time. And forget blockchain. It's a it's a very tough thing to get people. I mean, you know, we're talking about banks that are still operating on uh, 1970s mainframes, right? So uh, what has to happen from your experience dealing with 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 financial institutions uh, around the world? What has to happen for them to be able to actually start to deploy these and integrate them into what they do in a meaningful way? Well, uh, I think I, you know, this is a little bit self-serving, but I think that the technology that we built allows for that to happen now. Um, and and to, to drill a little bit further into that, um, it really is the two things that I just mentioned with one additional thing. So number one, tokenizing assets, right? Um, the additional thing is uh, building in interoperable compliance. Um, if you don't have compliance that operates outside of sort of its native ledger or native environment, you've just created another silo and another you know, need for reconciliation. Um, it, maybe you've moved the ball a little bit, but you haven't really transformed the world dramatically. Um, when you are able to automate compliance and maintain, again, that, that single record, now you can move value in real time across systems, across jurisdictional boundaries, across regulatory boundaries. And that creates a condition for, you know, the thing that we refer to as the global liquidity network. Um, the ability to, you know, to really move, um, you know, not only expose value, but allow it to transact again in real time across all these boundaries. Um, the other thing is, the, is that, that um, you know, automation, what we call DeFi. Um, and um, we actually call it institutional DeFi. Um, which, you know, there's a lot of discussion and, and, and people will get really um, esoteric about, well, is it really DeFi if you have to have an intermediary? Isn't it CeFi? That's fine without getting into that discussion. The point is the automation and maybe the reduction of the number of intermediaries um, is moving the ball substantially. And so when we talk about automating things like, you know, tri-party collateral, um, you know, um, that alone, um, well, Nicole can talk about what benefits that might bring to the bank. Um, but, but what we're talking about there is, is you're talking about tokenizing collateral. In 
in the first instance, you're just saying, well, I've got a real world asset and I'll tokenize it internally. But when you actually end up with natively digital assets um, that can be used as collateral in these transactions, the whole world becomes a heck of a lot more fluid. Um, and so those are the sorts of things that we think about. They're certainly the sorts of things that State Street um, is, is squarely focused on. Um, and so you can see where our interests co you know, uh, coincide yeah. here. I want to start talking about use cases, but before I've got one more, I guess, infrastructure question. Nicole, maybe you can, or both of you might have an answer to this, but Nicole, I'll, I'll start with you uh, since you're the, the end user. Uh, when we're talking about blockchains in general, are you looking at just, let's call it DLT, so essentially a, a permissioned, a club uh, where the players know one another, uh, which is, I guess, safer, um, and uh, from a license point of view, might be uh, might be more practical. At the same time, it doesn't have the the reach ability. You know, you're talking about um, mm -hmm. massive global liquidity. You know, so of, of an Ethereum or or something like that. Uh, do you see a point at which you would be there would be a point where the industry will want to go from the club-like type DLTs to something that's permissionless and public? Yes. Okay, so I'll answer that in kind of two points. One is around an ecosystem and the other is around interoperability. Mm -hmm. So from an ecosystem play perspective, to evaluate where to invest and where to start, you know, you just have to look, look out into the world and, you know, clearly there, there is a support and ecosystem for broadly for certain blockchains and for a certain approach. And so I think the, the advancements recently or in the last year or few years have been around how might we utilize those blockchains, but layering in some things that make it palatable from a regulatory perspective, from a large institutional perspective. And I think that that's, that's the way forward, which leads to the other point that I raised, which is um, ecosystem support leads to interoperability. Um, and just more on that interoperability, you know, at States, we do realize that uh, given our significant role in the ecosystem globally and all the clients that we touch, we will have to play with all of those blockchains. <laughs> and yeah. so that's that that's key to State Street being successful is how do we unite those ecosystems together? So in terms of what we're building, I would say we're, we're focused on what gets the most support from an ecosystem perspective, but knowing we're going to have to bridge all of those chains together. Right. And that bridging, is it something that is, okay, we have a, a coin that we can that's uh, fungible across these things? Uh, is it, uh, you know, like a CBDC or is it something where it's just like, well, we all agree on certain standards so that we can, you know, essentially some sort of version of SWIFT for the blockchain world where we can kind of just understand when I say this, it means this. Um, yeah. uh, is it a regulatory You know, what, what has to happen, do you think, for, for that interoperability to become something practical? Yeah, I think I think that all of those things you touched on are true. I would I'm actually going to toss this to Patrick because this is one of the core competencies at Securency and one of the reasons why we're engaged with the firm. So, Patrick, you're the expert here. You want to elaborate a bit? Um, it, I loved James the use of your uh, of, of Swift there because I often refer to the framework that we built out as sort of Swift on steroids. And what I mean by that is. I think you, you've hit it exactly 
you know, on the head. If you've got a system that is able to effectively act as sort of a, a translational layer, not just for business logic, um, but also for compliance, um, that now becomes rails for all value. So where, where Swift is focused on sort of, you know, interbank wholesale payments, um, we're talking about the same set of rails for payments, for securities, for, uh, you know, uh, things like NFTs, uh, real estate assets, and so on and so forth. And, and the reason for that is because you don't actually have to change the regulatory uh, framework within which each of those assets live. Um, you can still say, well, yes, that is, is a payment. And so it, it is subject to you know, banking regulations while this security is subject to securities regulations. But all those things are in our world are policies that are written into, call it the core smart contract of the asset. So as long as the asset knows what it's supposed to do, we've inverted the entire relationship between the asset and the systems. Um, we are, we've all you know, come up in a world in which banks have systems and then they have assets that live within those systems. Um, this is a whole new world. This is a world in which the systems live inside the asset. And, um, and so as a result of that, um, the asset basically communicates what it is and what it does and what it can do out to these external systems. That's a complete paradigm shift. And, um, and, and, and that requires, again, um, not just you know, the business logic automation that you see coming out of the DeFi world, but compliance and risk management. Um, and, and, and so there you see where um, you know, institutions actually have uh, a, a real role in this um, because you know, as you've seen from recent events, um, if you don't apply, you know, good good risk management, um, bad things happen. If you don't have the heft and the credibility and the you know the operational expertise, bad things happen. And also in that, you know, should something go wrong, balance sheet does matter still, right? So um, for all of these reasons, um, this is a world in which there will be you know new players, but the incumbents have a significant role to play in this world as well. And so just taking that. That comment you made, um, Patrick, about you know turning inside out, I, I gather then in the traditional world, you know all the reconciliation that goes on around a trade is because everybody has to make sure that they understand what the asset is. Uh, they just need to make sure that their books all align and that um, if if A paid B and B got C, you know it, that we all agree on what the deal was. Whereas what you're saying here is the role of a custodian uh, or any financial institution or intermediary in this case might be to say what is this asset um you know what are what's in the code um you, you know what can be triggered by this um and you know is this something that is valued the way that people expect it to be is, is that kind of where you see things going yeah exactly that's exactly right and there are there are some great companies out there um, who are really focused on what we call sort of the you know, the post-trade side, uh, you know, and, and especially on data um, to bring all those pieces together. So this is really a framework within which all of this, you know, these other activities can be, you know, sort of layered in to create, you know, sort of this end-to-end, -end, um, you know, management of the asset uh, without the need to, to stop and reconcile. The reconciliation happens in real time and is recorded, you know, immutably in real time as well. Um, and so that's transformational. Nicole, can I ask you uh, in, in practical terms, I know you said that you're getting a lot of calls from your, your clients these days, but when I speak with people in the, let's say the asset management industry, I still find that many of them are, 
um, not very attuned to what's going on in 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 the blockchain space. Um, you know, they just equate it with Bitcoin and and, and think it doesn't mm-hmm. apply to them. Uh, so finding that obviously, you know, you're obviously dealing with the people that are you know clearly focused on this, but uh, yeah. let's find that middle ground. Uh, if you're talking to um, a CEO or an MD at a at a large buy side, who's not necessarily um, au fait with with this sort of thing, what is it that you would tell them? What what is it that's coming down the road that they need to either be concerned about and, and prepared for, or also excited about, and something that could you know help them? So I think let me start with the with the carrot first. So I think the carrot is what we've seen in terms of first use cases, which is transformation of the asset. And so it's layering on the technology to improve some significant problem that this asset manager would have with that asset itself. And that I think acts like a carrot. And so specifically, for example, we could say, okay, um, data that can support the valuation of this asset will facilitate Um, more regular valuation, will facilitate then secondary market liquidity, will facilitate then the ability to invest and divest in this asset, enabling your portfolio to invest in assets that were otherwise off the table. So that's one example of of, the the carrot. Um, I think in terms of the stick, (laughs) so what do they have to be prepared for? Um, You know, we we get... uh, the, the, the catalyst is coming from multiple angles. And sometimes we'll get a call from an asset manager to say like, look, you know, this, this company is planning to pay a dividend digitally, or look, we, uh, we received, you know, from an, an, um, an endowment, we received a donation in cryptocurrency. What do we do with it? And so I think cat is out of the bag in terms of, uh, the innovation is here. It's in our environment. So, you know, the, the conversations that I'm having now are less, you know, do, do we do we care? And is is Bitcoin a thing? And it's no, we 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 really do understand that if we're not paying attention to DLT and blockchain right now, we will be left behind. And that shift has happened in the last uh, four years since I've been a part of the conversation. Yeah. Okay. We're almost out of time. I'd just like to ask both of you. What will be the next milestone, um, you know, in your own business, but also in the industry? What are you looking for that's going to take this to the next level? Let's say in the next six to twelve months. Patrick, mm-hmm. kick that off. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, six to twelve months is like a hundred years in blockchain. Yeah, I know it's so, fast. Um, so, you know, so, so my prediction probably won't survive the recording of this session. But um, but the um, uh, you know what what we see are three really significant trends that all sort of have a common feature. So um, one is the digitalization of private assets um, to uh, you know really create liquidity where there there wasn't liquidity before, and in this sense. You kind of see this um, this concept of you know a blurring of the lines between the public and private markets, where now you can really reach down to um, what I would call lower end accredited investors. That's an underserved marketplace. It, it's hard to reach them now. It's super efficient to get there, and you can get sort of public markets effects from private assets. It's really exciting. Um, the second trend that we see is one that we've spent a lot of time talking about, which is uh, what we call institutional DeFi. Um, the automation um, of a lot of these uh, banking activities. And then the third trend 
um, what you know what 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 we see coming is um, and and we've anticipated this is that um, the crypto world is actually moving toward the institutional world just as fast as the institutional world has begun moving toward the crypto world and so um, you'll see these innovations really start to come together in ways for example real world assets in DeFi protocols that you you know uh, that you have sort of thought of as pure DeFi. Um, so those are the three trends that I see coming. Okay. And Nicole, I'm going to just conclude with you, but maybe put a little twist on this. Um, obviously, we've gone through some, uh, there's been a lot of carnage in the crypto markets. Um, I'd be curious, what do you think has to happen to sort of um, right the ship and make sure that we're all on uh, a constructive path? Uh, well, in terms of writing the ship, what does that mean? I mean, I feel like valuations are, are pretty much there. Um, you know, so to write the path, though, I would say I would go to a, re a regulatory view um, in terms of what has been laid down um, and what needs to be laid down. So what has been laid down, I think, is a pretty clear view around what is a security, what's not a security. We've been having this conversation for a long time, and a lot of those, those um, regulations do exist. Right. I think we're hearing a lot of rumblings right now around um, around uh, an actual digital dollar. Um, you know, we're hearing that in Congress. We're hearing that from the White House. The Fed has a, a thing or two to say about that. I think that's particularly interesting. I think watch that space because that conversation is getting pushed from multiple angles. So I think that uh, that will be a significant um, driver as well when that as that conversation develops. Great. Well, look, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. Um, it's a fun space to be in, and I really appreciate you guys taking some time to speak with me at Vox. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. It's a pleasure, and Nicole, always a pleasure. And likewise. Thanks so much.